This is Fredo Salfaruk with MedTech Insight. Many of you know me as Danny. Today we are speaking with Eva von Millenen and Elizabeth Curtin, attorneys at Sidley Austin, on how artificial intelligence device makers can protect themselves against future negligence claims. Eva and Elizabeth, thank you for joining us. So we're going to start off first by talking about you know, some of the case law. Please talk to us about some of the case law that you think will be critical to AI litigation and why. And also, we're talking about negligence. Define that for us. Give us some potential examples. Sure, Danny. This is Elizabeth, and I'm happy to take this one. So in the product liability context, negligence generally appears in a couple of different forms. The first would be design defect, which is essentially an allegation that the device or pharmaceutical should have been designed differently than it was. The second is a manufacturing defect, which is that the design was okay, but perhaps the particular device in question was made in a way that was out of specifications. And the third and the most common form of negligence is a failure to warn or inadequate warning claim, meaning essentially that the device was not accompanied by appropriate warnings. And at the simplest level, an injured plaintiff has to prove that the product that he or she was exposed to was defective in one of these ways, and that that particular defect caused the plaintiff's injury. Um, you know, the, the artificial intelligence is a whole, I think, a brave new world for this, because in our traditional cases, we focus on the medical device manufacturer or the pharmaceutical company or the like, but there are some, some new entries to the chain of events here. There is the developer of the artificial intelligence, perhaps the software programmer, the hospital that may purchase the, the device and so forth. Um, and any of those elements of the, of the sequence event, of events could potentially be at risk of liability. Now, we don't have uh, cases to look to yet to say this is exactly how things are going to work in the AI device context. But I think there are some interesting analogs in existing product liability law that will hopefully pro provide some guidance to manufacturers and marketers of, of these devices of how to proceed. So first, you have your traditional medical device cases. And medical device companies, when approved by FDA under PMA processes, have significant legal protection from liability. Um, essentially a claim that seeks to impose a state law standard different from or in addition to what FDA approved is preempted. Um, and, and cases that have medical devices reliant on software do go back many years, such as the cardiac medical device cases. And it's very difficult for plaintiffs to prevail in those cases on design defect claims. And, of course, if they're asking for a warning that was different than uh, what FDA required, uh, they're going to run into preemption hurdles. So some of those cases will turn on manufacturing defects and, and claims that the particular device in question departed from its specifications. And I think that's what we may see in the artificial intelligence context, especially as the devices are PMA approved by FDA. Um, you know, did this particular software go awry in the case of this, you know, this particular exposure, for example? Um, so, so that's one, the, the traditional device context. Uh, I think also, and we'll talk a little bit about this when we talk about um, particular ways companies can protect themselves. In negligence cases, in prescription device or pharmaceutical cases, 
One of the best protections for manufacturers in product liability cases involving traditional prescription drugs and medical devices is called the learned intermediary defense. And what this means is that the manu- if the manufacturer is found to have adequately warned the physician, such that the physician made an informed risk-benefit decision to prescribe the device or drug to the patient, the manufacturer's liability is significantly reduced or even eliminated. The challenge with AI and with other and in other contexts is that the more the manufacturer steps into the role of the physician, the more the manufacturer can kind of be said to be in between the physician and the patient, the more challenging and the more eroded that defense may become. So one parallel that I thought of in the medical device context that kind of feeds into that issue is sometimes we see training cases in the medical device context. So for example, a patient will allege that the manufacturer took on a duty to train the physician on the medical device, and in so doing, either the physician or potentially the patient plaintiff will say, um, you know, essentially that the manufacturer had more responsibility for how the medical device was actually uh, implanted. So in the context of medical device cases. There are efforts in some instances to pursue failure to train cases. And not these are not all accepted by all jurisdictions, um, but it, it, in some ways, this, these can be an effort to shift some of the blame for physician error to the manufacturer if the manufacturer assumes responsibility for training and the physician and patient then attribute some of the harm that occurred to a defect in the manufacturer's training. So where is the parallel here with AI? I think the argument is potentially that AI may guide the physician's conduct to such a degree that a plaintiff will allege that essentially the AI is stepping into the shoes of the physician and thus erode the learned intermediary doctrine. And I'll talk about some thoughts on sort of protections from that going forward. Um, you know, I think there have been uh, a number of cases about, you know, the surgical Levada cases, the Da Vinci cases. Those are somewhat interesting and, and potentially applicable here. But I think they're a little bit different because the, the, in those cases, you have the surgeon sort of guiding the, the robot more than you may see here in the AI products. Um, but those were a significant target of litigation, whether or not the end result could be attributable to surgeon error or to what was alleged to be a device failure. And finally, I think probably everyone's watching what's happening with autonomous cars, and I don't think we have a good book, and I don't see any cases yet on those, but um, you know, those are interesting and challenging because they're also adapting to human error um, on the road around them. Definitely a, an area for us to watch closely. But there are some cases that predate autonomous cars. Uh, I don't know if folks remember these, but where for a driver would, for example, follow um, the directions on a TomTom or a Garmin and miss a road hazard, and then that results in serious injury. And in some ways, that is a very interesting analog here because logically, you would think, well, with, even with extensive, with the extensive warnings about the limitations of these devices, the driver is the owner of the decision driving the car. 
And, and I think the parallel there with artificial intelligence is an interesting one. So we have the, a device giving us very good information about where to go, but at the same time, ultimately, we expect that the decisions made for the patient is is made by the physician. It's mm, really interesting. I, I mean, I I was actually thinking about the Da Vinci case as well uh, as you were um, talking and. Uh, you know, AI-based uh, car navigation is also you know a critical area to look at in the future. Now, based on everything that you've kind of talked about, what are some of the you know major pieces of advice that you have for any company developing AI in the healthcare sector? Uh, well, from a regulatory um, perspective, I would advise companies an interdisciplinary approach, uh, as there are overlapping requirements, at least from the European perspective like medical device um, regulation requirements, data projection aspects and ethical or even AI-specific aspects. So interdisciplinary teams should also be built up. Um, then uh, foreseen or expected that there is going to be a lack of skilled workforce expected in, in, in data science and machine learning, for example. So the required workforce should be acquired, trained and skilled. Um, another aspect is um, that AI requires thoughtful governance, so interdisciplinary governance committees and systems should be established, and in uh, the establishment of an ethic board, for example, could be considered. Another detailed aspect is that um, it's bias, and to, bite, to avoid the introduction of bias, both the FDAs as well as um, the EU's approach towards AI um, will put a high emphasis on the avoidance of bias. Um, most recently, the guiding principles for good machine learning practice um, were published jointly by the FDA, Health Canada, and the MHRA. Um, one of these principles addresses bias uh, and the need for representative data sets also. So that's a um, very essential aspect. And as AI is going to be um, a global issue, industry should monitor global approaches and development, um, as, for example, the proposed regulation on AI in the EU. As part of its digital agenda, the European Commission has proposed the world's first concrete proposal for regulation for regulating AI, the proposal for regu regulation on artificial intelligence. Um, the proposal is embedded in the EU's Commission's approach to a coordinated legislation for of AI and to foster trust and the uptake of AI. Um, the EU strives to become the winner of the global AI race by being the regulatory leader in the area of AI. And um, of particular interest is the very broad scope of the application. The AI Act takes a rather horizontal approach than a sector-specific and attempt to cover AI and machine learning for all sorts of applications. And the broad scope is also also applies to the territorial scope. Um, the proposed regulation would apply to any AI system um, used or providing output within the European Union, uh, regardless of the location of the provider or user. Um, so this could actually lead to a similar broad extraterritorial impact as, um, for example, the general um data protection regulation, and the AI Act could also become an international gold standard. And the AI takes a, a risk-based approach, and medical devices will qualify as high-risk AI systems. 
um, the requirements by the AI Act for high-risk systems are detailed and backed up by heavy penalties. It includes fines of up to 6% of a company's annual revenues for non-compliance. So fines that are higher um, than the historic um, penalties of up to 5% of global turnover um, under the General Data Protection Regulation. The EU is ambitiously pushing the de- development and this plan that the regulation will be applied in 2024. And from then on, new systems and those that undergo significant or substantial changes shall be covered. So companies are well advised to prepare themselves for this regulation and address the risks associated with AI more broadly. Although the EU regulation is not yet in force, it provides clear insight that the future of AI regulation as a whole. Um, companies should therefore proactively evaluate whether and how they might be affected by this EU AI Act and assess compliance with the proposed regulation, also in order, of course, to embrace responsible AI and ensure trust and uptake in this regard. Thank you so much. Uh, and Elizabeth, uh, would you have some perspective on that from the U.S. side? Yeah, and and in particular from the litigation risk side, and I think picking up on a couple of the points that Eva mentioned, um, one is, uh, and Eva had said, you know, think about having, making sure that the workforce is skilled. I think the litigation parallel to that for us is thinking about the unique challenge of newcomers to the medical device ecosystem. So, of course, an experienced medical device or pharma company has decades of experience with uh, litigation and product liability cases and has, in great sense, figured out how to adapt their business practices to minimize risk while at the same time, you know, minimizing a disruption to business. Startup companies and software developers may not have that kind of experience and as, as uh, everyone in the chain may bear some liability if things go wrong, I think it's important for companies getting into this space to just take, take steps to ensure that other members of the ecosystem and particularly other companies you're working with are meeting your high standards of care. Um, and if you are the newcomer company, make sure you're getting expert advice. Make sure you're thinking about not just FDA, EU regulatory obligations, minimizing product liability risk, but also thinking about privacy and security corporate governance and other potentially um, very risky areas. Second, I would say just picking up on something I said earlier in one of my um, litigation examples was making sure that the doctor's role in patient care for AI medical devices remains primary. And that's, you know, going back to what I said about the learned intermediary defense. Um, The manufacturer needs to be thinking at, at all steps of the way in, in training sales reps and in initial discussions with physicians about what these devices can and will do, um, that the, the doctor is still the interface with the patient. And while the AI will certainly inform physician decision-making, um, I think manufacturers have to be careful to not to overstate AI's role or to make it sound like um, AI is replacing a physician because doing that will certainly uh, pose a risk that the manufacturer is more uh, more responsible for the end result. Well, I you know from a regulatory perspective, we've been following uh, what the FDA has been doing with AI, and they seem to be prioritizing the topic uh, quite a bit. You know, in terms of 
setting these clear boundaries uh, of who's responsible for what part of uh, the product, um, what more can they do to help you know med tech companies kind of understand their role that then I guess translates into uh, whenever a negligence issue comes up? This is Elizabeth. Um, I think I'll speak to this from the perspective of a litigator who represents medical device and pharma clients. Um, and I think it's for FDA to keep listening and to keep communicating with all of the various stakeholders. I think there is a significant agreement uh, among regulators and uh, the healthcare community and the medical device community that AI is a very promising technology that has the potential to have great benefits for patient care. So how do we minimize risk and encourage innovation in these areas? And that's with predictability. So making sure that companies know what's expected of them by FDA and keeping those lines of communications open will, I think, ultimately encourage companies to pursue these innovative technologies and, and you know, in the end, have a, have a significant benefit for patient care. And and, and that, then, sorry, go ahead. I was going to ask I, Eva from your perspective: Is there anything on the you know European side that you're seeing? Thank you very much, Benny. Yes, I glad glad to contribute from the regulatory perspective. Um, the EU AI Act um, provides, for example, legal basis for innovation-friendly regulatory tools for new technologies um, that don't fit the traditional regulatory framework. Uh, An innovation-friendly regulatory tool that is planned to be introduced by this AI Act um, is, for example, well, are these, um, are for example, the so-called regulatory sandboxes. Um, the term can be generally defined as a testbed for a selected number of projects where certain laws or regulations are set aside, so to say, and the project receives guidance and monitoring from a competent authority. Another aspect um, which is key for the industry is reimbursement. Um, an innovative approach has been taken by the only two-year-old German uh, Digital Healthcare Act um, that allows a kind of fast track to statutory reimbursement for health apps. Digital health applications can be statutory reimbursed even if the health app is still in clinical evaluation, for example, and they are already discussing about whether such an approach should not be um, introduced at EU level. Standardization is another aspect. For example, at the moment, there are over 300 AI-related standards under development. Standards ensure consistent quality and comparability and equivalence. And standardization also helps in ensuring safety, interoperability, and um, also compatibility of and one thing I'm curious about, is there any gaps in AI legislation, regulation, again, from the, the, the U.S. perspective and then the EU perspective that you think uh, needs to be immediately addressed, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, what you're seeing as potential future uh, negligence cases? From the regulatory perspective, the regulations in AI are being driven forward very quickly. Um, the EU current Slovenian presidency, as well as the coming French one, consider the regulation uh, as a key issue. However, what should be addressed from my perspective is the regulatory framework for adaptive models, adaptive systems, um, learn from new information, and are totally common in non-medical um, AI services like samples, for example. 
uh, in the medical frame, for example, adaptive AI might allow it to learn from new real-world data and incorporate clinician feedback to optimize its performance um, software powered by artificial intelligence could uh, analyze vital signs, for example, and send providers and um, structuring recommendations. This kind of feedback mechanism is common in non-medical AI services in the medical field. However, currently manufacturers train an algorithm only so far um, on in-house data and um, then the system has to be locked to be assessed or certified. And the US FDA's total product lifecycle approach and the proposed European Union AI Act are addressing those adaptive systems um, to unleash this potential while mitigating the risk. Interesting. Uh, Elizabeth, do you have anything yeah, to add there? Sure. I think... Uh, from the U.S. perspective, I think there are questions about what kind of protections for AI manufacturers and stakeholders can be built into both regulations and to legislative efforts. And I, I mentioned predictability earlier with litigation, but um, further protections for AI manufacturers could allow them to focus on the more important business of designing AI that will benefit patients. So I think that's um, something we should keep discussing. So, you know, based on everything that you know and you're seeing in the sector, and I know it's a difficult question to ask, you know, earlier you said, you know, this is a brave new world. Uh, look into the crystal ball for me. Talk to me about your prediction for AI technology over the next year and then maybe over the next decade. What are some of the short-term, long-term predictions you have? Well, as we just touched upon, um, the safe use of this transformative potential of, of adaptive systems is one desirable goal. Um, second, over the next years, uh, um, major de developments are expected in the decentralization of systems. At the moment, like about 80% of the data is stored is centralized in cloud-based systems, for example. And the EU Commission estimates that by 2025, 80% of data will be stored in decentralized systems and Internet of Things devices, for example, wearables. Um, yeah, and like those kind of um, health technologies, mobile health technologies, will enable the collection and evaluation of digital biomarkers, bio for example, that provide valuable data for the application of AI systems. And with this decentralized the decentralization of data edge, um, of data edge AI applications and federated learning will become increasingly relevant, also from a privacy-enhancing perspective. Edge AI is an approach where basically the evaluation of data takes place in a decentralized manner and an, on Internet of Things devices. Um, mobile health and wearables will be increasingly used to collect um, real-world data for those decentralized clinical trials. And they will not only supply large amounts of data, but also the hope for quality of data that is needed for AI. And as Elizabeth um, has touched upon already, medical robotics, for example, surgical assistance robots, computer-assisted surgeries, exoskeletons um, and prosthetics, using AI and virtual or augmented reality will be uh, evolving. And regarding the next decade, well, Bill Gates said we always overestimate the change that will occur in the next two years and underestimate the change that will occur in the next 10. Um, but what we know for the moment as AI is, um, AI is so-called narrow, um, such um, 
that focuses on performing a specific task, such as answering questions or finding similarities. Stronger AI is considered uh, as systems that develop human-like consciousness instead of simulating it. Siri, self-driving cars and chatbots are far away from this consciousness um, and the development that AI could duplicate human intellectual abilities in the next decade is rather not expected. Uh, Elizabeth, do you have anything to add to that? Any any uh, additional uh, perspective or you know, do you agree with that? I do. And, and I, I did say Brave New World earlier. Um, and that's, a, <laughs> I think, a common reference. Uh, when we talk about new technology, but um, perhaps a, a negative one. Uh, I, I just wanted to say that I think this is, it's a really exciting time to work in the medical device space. And I think it's also a very exciting time to be a consumer of uh, healthcare in the U.S., as, as all of us are one way or another at some point in our lives. And looking ahead over the next decade or so, I think there are going to be many exciting innovations that we uh, run into both, uh, I run into professionally, but that we also run into in our own um, personal health journeys. And I'm very excited to see what evolves. And my hope is that as the technology continues to evolve, we will find additional ways for companies to identify and minimize risk so they can focus on the important business of developing these technologies to benefit patients. Great. You know, I always want to kind of end with this. Is there anything in our discussion that I haven't touched on that you think is worth mentioning that you think uh, our listeners would want to know? I think responsible and ethical AI will foster the uptake of new applications, especially indirect patient applications. It will be essential that industry builds trust in, in the application of new technologies so compliance and the corresponding marketing will therefore become re- increasingly um, important. This is Elizabeth. I think uh, I had, when we talked a little bit earlier about co- things that companies should be aware of, um, as I mentioned, I think one of the more significant target areas for lawsuits against medical device and pharmaceutical manufacturers are warnings. And I think in the AI context, one thing to keep our eye on is, and Eva had mentioned bias, from a warnings perspective, I think it's very important for companies to be continually aware of the sources and limitations of their data. For example, is the data that is being fed into the AI is it coming mostly from male patients and other limitations? And making sure that the end users, the physicians and the patients are aware of the limitations, um, I think will be a, an important part of open communications in these areas. Interesting. I, I recently spoke to an expert who was concerned about AI potentially amplifying some of the um, uh, disparities in healthcare systems that are already built in, because that's where we're getting our data from. So that's a very interesting thought. Uh, thank you both, uh, Eva and Elizabeth, for taking the time to speak with me. It's been a fascinating discussion, and uh, hopefully we'll continue talking as uh, this brave new world uh, you know, becomes more visible. Thanks for having us, Danny. Thank you.